Welcome back to another episode of On the Bench with Beaks. This is episode number 47. I am your humble, maybe not so humble host, Cody Beekman. Uh, with me, as always, is a slice of pear, Bryce McMillan. How's it going? How's it going? Ross the Boss Mormeyer. Hey, what's up, guys? And Daniel, total sweetie, BD. Hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> Uh, today we, uh, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff, like uh, we're going to look at how the first month of the NHL season has been going and how uh, COVID has affected this interesting season so far. Um, we've also got a new little segment that we're going to uh, instill upon you people. Uh, it's going to be a player spotlight where we pick a player every week. And talk about how great they're doing or uh, how bad they're doing or whatever you guys want to say about them. So let's get it started by Hockey Day in History. Uh, Para Bryce, do you want to start this one off? Heck yeah, I'll go on. Go first. So in this date in hockey history, February 14, 2001, Pavel Beery became the first player in Florida Panthers history to record hat tricks in back-to-back games when his three goals – in both games, and this says gave him seven points in two games, and he helped the Panthers win a four to three win over the visiting Phoenix Coyotes. So, I got, yeah, two hat tricks in two games. Nice, That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah, pa- Pavel Beer was such a pure goal scorer this time. It was amazing to watch him play. I mean, that kid had so much jump. I mean, Pavs Beer. I mean, what what else can you say about him? Uh, Ross, do you want to go next? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I kind of picked this one because uh, I finally got my 100th jersey in my collection. I figured, why not top it off with a uh, Gordy Howe Detroit Vipers jersey, which he only played one shift, one game with him when he was 69. But to get to my hockey day in history, um, February 13th of 1966, Detroit's Gordy Howe scored a goal and two assists including his 800th career NHL assist, and Alex Delvecchio became the second man to play 1,000 games with Detroit, and that milestone came, unfortunately, to a loss to the Montreal Canadiens. Good old Gordy. I think Gordy Howe's managed to make their way into about 80% of every hockey day in history somehow. Yeah, that's what it seems to be. Right. Oh man, great I mean, stat, gonna... man! And congrats on a hundred jerseys. Good lord, oh, Ross, that's insane. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> an incredible, that's an incredible feat. I mean, not a, not not many mere men can reach that feat, but uh, <laughs> well, yeah, congrats. Uh, so yeah, Daniel, you want to keep uh, keep her going? Oh, for sure, guys, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna use February 9th, nineteen ninety two, because it's a little related to what happened earlier this week in the NHL with Ovechkin too. So as most of us know, he just took over the seventh place all time for goals scored by passing Mike Gartner. And on this day in hockey history, 1992, February 9th, New York Rangers right wing Mike Gartner notched his 30th goal of the season versus Detroit, tying an NHL record for most consecutive 
30 goal seasons in a row. Wow. He equaled the mark previously shared by, again, someone we've mentioned, Bobby Hull and Phil Esposito. (laughs) Now, would anyone like to guess what that record for most consecutive 30 goal seasons is? Oh, God. Um, I'd have to say probably 10 or 12. It's a very good guess. It's 13. Wow. Yeah. And uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, would would that be set by uh, Mr. Wayne Gretzky? Well, that was tied by Mike Gartner in 92. So I'm sure Gretzky is close to that by now or past it i should look that up um because it's certainly impressive but that alone means that's uh 390 goals that's just nuts (laughs) yeah not to mention that's that's a majority of a hockey player's career so basically what you're saying is that 13 seasons in the nhl you're scoring 30 goals or more that and you're doing that your entire career. I know that's, that's gigantic. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that uh, it, you talk about that, and then nowadays we're talking about fifty goal scores. But to honestly be that consistent throughout your whole career—that's just a feat. It is, oh, yeah. especially when the threshold is only thirty goals. You know that these guys are probably scoring way more than thirty. Yeah. Holy Try crap! Again. So the record is fifteen. Oh, my. And it's held by Mike Gartner. Oh, wow. Look at that. But, hey, guess what? Here's what's really cool, too. It also ties into who else we just talked about. Tied at 15 is Ovechkin. And 13 is Esposito with Bobby Hull. It's just like (laughs) these guys are everywhere. Um Yager's in there too. I can't not mention Yager just because he's part of this 15 club. That's insane. Um, oh yeah, it's an Weird. it's an ever uh, it's like an ever circulating you know like uh, like I don't know huge thing of just goal store goal scoring like oh yeah he he's got this uh, he's got this record but oh this guy's right there next to him too I love it it's oh. fantastic. It's impressive, too, because, sorry, I'll just mention, go ahead after, Ross, that Ovechkin's been playing through some seasons of lockouts and COVID where they've been shortened, and he's still, like, getting over the 30, you know? Still adding to the record. I think that's crazy. Uh, And that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You've got Ovechkin up there doing his thing, as you said, Daniel, with, like, having shortened seasons and stuff like that. But just look at the names that are surrounded by him, too. Uh, like, none of those guys are slouch slouch people. They're all Hockey Hall of Fame members and are, yeah, cup-winning contenders and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's one Gretz, oh. Gret, uh, record Gretzky doesn't have. There you go. Wow, that's interesting. That's actually very interesting. Because, I, I, mean, I mean, let's be honest, I mean... With Wayne Gretzky, you think, well, yeah, he's going to be up there in pretty much any sort of, like, goal scorer or point-getting category. Oh, yeah, hands down. you think that he would be 
Yeah, you think of Gretzky, you think that man's got every record book, but no, he. There is some things, that milestones that he wasn't able to hit in his career. It is kind of funny, though. I mean, he if, if he's listening, because we all know he is. We love you, Gretz. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, he's, well, he's he's definitely hanging on every word that we ever. We're talking made, about like sure. consecutive yeah. thirty goal seasons here, and he's probably like, "Bitch, one season I got ninety something, so I got three yeah. thirty goal seasons in one season. So shut up." <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kiss the ring. Kiss the ring. <laughs> it's surprising that you didn't hear, you know, Mark Messier's name being brought up in that either. Uh, ooh, wow, you really got to go there, don't you? You just got to bring up Messier. <laughs> you know, I was having such a fun time so far. We had mentioned people like Burray <laughs> and Gretzky and Gartner. <laughs> Everything was going great. Thanks, Bryce. Now you just pissed <laughs> that one away. Triggered. Right? <laughs> Triggered. Triggered. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Trigger warning. All right, yeah. speaking, of, uh, speaking of consecutive 30-goal uh, scorers, this is my hockey day in history. February 14th, 1995, Philadelphia's John McClare scored his first NHL hat-trick ever and added two assists to the Flyers' win at 5-2. to two. And, uh, I mean, uh, more than 30-goal scorers. He, uh, first, his first five years in Philadelphia, he had more than uh, 40 goals each season. So that's, uh, that's, um, well, we're just talking about putting the puck in the net today, boys. It's, that's what it seems like. It's a repetition of that. For real. So, um, pile them up. That you fucking pile them up all day long. <laughs> all right. So that was, uh, uh, I mean, just as, uh, just as normal, man. We always have some pretty good hockey, uh, day in history tidbits. So I guess we'll move on. Um, so yeah. Uh, what, uh, what's it's kind of, you know, uh, now that the season's kind of like in full flight, and, uh, we've gotten a, a chance to see a lot of, um, a lot of new hockey, uh, new players coming into the league. And, uh, I think it'd be cool to do a player spotlight every week where one of us chooses a player and, um, talks about how well they're doing or, um, just like I said, how terrible they're doing. Um, so every week we're going to pick, uh, one of us are going to pick a player, but I mean, uh, for this to start, uh, I think it'd be fun if we all just kind of, uh, pick a player and, uh, put the spotlight on him. So, I mean, uh, Bryce, you started off the hockey day in history. So who do you got for your first ever player spotlight? All right. Fantastic. So my first ever player spotlight, I'm going to highlight Mika Rantanen. Um, I mean, the guy, you know, this year, I think he's, he's really, he's really stroke his strides and his production in terms of what he's been doing this year has been pretty crazy. Um, like in terms of PK, his hustle, I think he's shown a lot of leadership. Um, but the guy is, you know, a first rounder, 10th overall in 2015. So it's his sixth year in the league and each year he's be getting better and better and better. Um, so just this year with 11 games played, he has seven goals, three assists, that's 10 points. Um, and that's, you know, by far way better than any of his starts he's ever had in the NHL. And so this is the first time also where he's um, got past, you know, his career, that 100-goal threshold in his career, too. So, I mean, he's coming right along. And I think, you know, just highlighting him and his skill sets and the way he's able to play with any kind of line he's on, 
Um, his one-timer is amazing. He kind of has almost, you know, that top circle in the slot area, kind of his office now. Um, so, yeah, I'm really highlighting uh, Mika Ranston just in terms of his ability, not only just this week, but I think, um, you know, over this entire season, even though it's only, you know, about 10 games played, he's been killing it so far. Uh, I think he's a big part of why the Avalanche have been pretty successful and why they're the top of the West. You know, it's it's funny that you uh, bring up uh, – well, it, I guess it's not so funny that you bring up Mika Ranson in because, I mean, any almost every year since he's been in the league, he's he's – obviously been an easy guy to talk about and what i what i've what i've really enjoyed about his game so far is how uh his defensive game has evolved so much i mean uh in in a lot of these games you see him back checking so hard and uh, disrupting up disrupting a lot of like odd man rushes and or just any rushes up the ice just because he's back checking and playing a very strong defensive game so uh, I, I do have to agree with you that his game is evolving, and um, it's really good to see that too. And uh, I think in past seasons, his uh, you know his his skating has been a little choppy. I think he I think over this offseason he's done a lot to improve where, uh, like uh, his explosiveness rather than you know uh, there's been so many times where I've seen him just you know kind of go flat after after um you know kind of skating during during an entire shift so i think uh those are two things that he's done really well at evolving his game through oh totally and kind of on that point so he's been killing a lot more penalties as well so kind of talk about the defensive game he brought up and kind of go with that i think he's also gotten a lot stronger i think he's put a little more time in the weight room you can see it when he's battling in the corners he's definitely slipping through checks um, he's definitely a little more physical, and so he's able to body guys out a little more easier, too, with the puck. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up, too, Bryce. You can just see how much his strength has just grown uh, in the corners and battling for the puck just season after season, basically. Um, you can just see that just grow uh, just exponentially, it seems like. Yeah, the moose is getting loose, to say the least. Well, that's, that's one thing I was just about to mention is that, I mean, you can't really be called uh, a moose if you're not super strong on the puck. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just that's the way I see it. No, or, I, just, or, I like the place in the, in the power play, how he's just a big guy. You know, you see him take it that one time where he has to literally get down on one knee just about like in 50 percent of his shots just because he's so tall. He's always kind of trying to go for that top right corner. So it's kind of one of those like little details and like in his game that I like to watch for sure. Absolutely. Beautiful player spotlight. I mean, yeah. I, I, I like the way it's looking. Um, Hey Ross, uh, you want to, you want to carry on this, uh, this train? Oh yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a uh, kind of Tyler to right now. Um, he's having a breakout year with the Habs. Yeah, um, he is. Honestly, I wish the Canucks kept him. Daniel and I have talked about this cause he would have been such an attribute to them. But just, uh, I mean, besides that, just, I mean, he's been an average of about a 15 to like 20 goal score, it seems like, throughout his career. So, I mean, with him coming out and just being able to find the soft spots and just put that puck in and just play his game in his office is just great to see that in within the Montreal Canadiens. Um, he's always a good skater. Um 
he's always fast on the puck. He's got a good puck sense and a good hockey sense. I've always felt. I felt. I also feel that that's kind of been increased a little bit more on the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this guy's going to be on pace for getting 20 goals or something within this shortened NHL season this year for, due to COVID and everything. Well, you know what was so interesting about Tyler Toffoli? Um, they, if you look back, you know, maybe like four or five years ago, you know, when he was playing in Los Angeles, uh, they had that, that 70s line, you know, with Tanner Pearson and uh, – Carter. Jeff Carter, yeah, I mean, that was an unstoppable line, and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. and kind of after that, you know, um, it, you know, Tanner Pearson and Tavoli kind of lost a lot of pizzazz after that, and, I mean, obviously, you get both of them traded to Vancouver, and then, you know, Pearson kind of shines through in, in Vancouver, and then, you know, Tavoli signs in Montreal, and yeah, it's like, you know, it, uh, it, it, really provides a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of context to uh, a player moving somewhere, you know, just kind of, you know, signing, you know, signing somewhere, a team giving them a, a chance to really shine. And I think Toth uh, has been able to do that in, uh, really well with Montreal. And, I mean, he's playing with some really good uh, players. I mean, Josh Anderson and yep. him. And, I mean, uh, they, they've both been having a really good start to the season. And I think – I think Toffoli's really kind of found his uh, spot in Montreal. Yeah, yeah I agree. No, it definitely reminds me of that 2015-16 season when, I mean, he pulled, played the full season. He had 31 goals and 27 assists. Like, that's that's the Tyler Toffoli that I'm seeing now. Uh, with that whole – he's got a whole new drive, it seems like. Uh, he's got good line mates. Um, I mean, when you have that and you have your go-to-ness and everything – and your drive to be a better player, I mean, the sky's the limit, basically. And I th- think he's definitely using that to its full potential, for sure. I agree. I mean, he has 12, you know, in 12 games, he has nine goals, four assists, 13 points. So it's telling he's making a big play at least every single game. Oh, yeah. And that's why I'm saying I, with the shortened season, I wouldn't be surprised if he hit that 20-goal mark oh, with man. probably 25 assists. Like, And I'm just like kind of lowering the bar just to see if he exceeds my expectations, but I see him almost getting 30 goals. Probably. Dude, he's going to get, he's going to get 30. He's uh, unfortunately that, that... really stepped up this year. We can tell who, which divisions we've been watching. I've been watching a lot of the Canada games and unfortunately I've not only had to watch him not sign with the Canucks, but then watch him beat us up. And did you guys see that goal? He scored on the backhand. Um, oh dude that was so nasty he's smart and he's making really good plays so when you bring up his 2015-16 campaign when he scored 31 goals and 27 assists for 58 points he's gonna get that in this season playing less games um oh yeah and he was playing that was the carter line and everything like that that was when they were doing dirt down in la yeah that's why i wanted him signing back with vancouver because pearson's still there and he still likes it and he still wants to be there so it's like ah could have would have should have but say lovey yeah oh yeah but no and then he as i said he's just and even daniel brought it up again it's just his hockey sense and he knows where the soft spots are 
and he's just can find him. And he once he gets in there, he's you got to watch out because he'll put it in the back of the net, hands down. Well, that's, it's that time-tested, you know, uh, saying, uh, you know, good players can always find room. And um, Tyler Toffoli is definitely one of those players that can really find space to put the puck in. So, I mean, uh, I'm honestly, I, I, it was always fun watching him play, and I think, I think he's found a groove where he's really comfortable playing again. So, you know, good for, uh, good for Toff. I gotta say. Oh yeah, no, it's it's great to see him. As I said, once again, flourish and just be that Tyler Toffoli that we've always known and loved that can be that high, high amped player and just, you know, get the goals and get the assists and just do his, do what he knows what to do, basically. Absolute. Um, all right, Dan, uh, you want to, you want to continue on this, uh, beautiful path? For sure. Um, I'm going to stick with Montreal too. I think, I've just been really impressed with how they're doing as a club this year so far. It's really, really impressive. Um, and I'm going with, it definitely is. I'm going with Jeff Petrie. So have you guys been watching the blue line for Montreal? This guy is playing lights out for them and offensively, he's never really put up these kinds of numbers before. Um, he has a team high 58 scoring chances. So that guy does not some, not Tyler Toffoli. And, um, he's got 13 points through 11 games. He's got five goals already in most other seasons he's played in where he's played like 60 games. He hasn't scored five goals. So the guy is just having a breakout season. He's playing really well i mean he he's gotten to the 40 plus plateau the last few years in montreal but right now his he's just on fire and i'm just impressed i don't want him to be this good because he's crushing vancouver but at the same time a game recognized game i'm just damn dude i'm impressed with how he's playing and um He's leading all abs defensemen with a Corsi 4 rating of 61.59% too. So guys playing both ends of the ice really, really well with uh, some big minutes this year. So good on him. Hope he can keep it up for Montreal's sake because they're they're making it look like we might get a cup back in Canada this year. Yeah, no, he's definitely stepped up, I, I feel. Daniel um and isn't he uh line mates with uh Shea Weber yeah I or think, in my yeah I mean yeah it depends on how he's being deployed for sure but yeah um yeah I mean if you got Shea Weber on your side I mean that's a guy that can help you get that open ice to have those scoring opportunities and stuff he's such a good hockey-minded defenseman that he, he knows where you're at without even knowing where you're gonna be you know yeah that's what makes a player like Weber, just one that you want on your team. According to dailyfaceoff.com, he's, Weber's paired up mostly with Chariot, but um, okay, Petri's with Edmondson. But, I mean, when you come to a power play unit, Petri's leading the, the first unit, quarterbacking it, and uh, 
not Weber. So that tells you something too. So oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. Um, Montreal actually finally has a pretty decent uh, decor. Just I mean, just like um, just uh, Weber and Sherratt, and then you've got Petrie and Edmondson. Edmondson is an incredible stay-at-home defenseman where Petrie can actually activate as this offensive threat, which he hasn't had the chance to in the last few seasons. But um, I love the fact that you spotlight Jeff Petrie because he has had flashes of brilliance in the past. I just don't think he's ever had the uh, the, the line partner until now to really be able to kind of come out as, as such an offensive threat. Because we all know Joel Edmondson. I mean, he's, he's made a name for himself throughout his several years in the, in the past as a, a, a very reliable stay-at-home defenseman. So Petrie can activate so much more now. And, mm-hmm. I, 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 and, I, and I mean, Petrie just scored a goal today, actually, uh, against the uh, yep. Ottawa Senators. So there's hmm, a, wow. just add, add another one uh, to the list. So Jeff Petrie, I've always, you know, I've always had an eye on him because I know he's uh, he's had so much so much potential and it just goes back to what i was saying about having a uh, reliable defensive partner in joel edmondson so uh it's it's really great what uh montreal's doing i mean like uh obviously them kind of making a name for themselves last year in the uh in the covid cup and now i mean uh the way they're playing uh i mean it was mike kelly that was saying the, the Montreal Canadiens right now are the best team in the Scotia North Division, and I, I, I'm trying to look for reasons to uh, disagree, but I'm continuously finding no reason to disagree. Yeah, they're and so think, good, and I think Petrie is a big part of that. So that's a that's a really uh, that's a really good spotlight. I mean, him and Toff. So I that that I I couldn't disagree with that at all. Well, and I also am going to, when after this, we can get off of this. But uh, with Petrie, I mean, as you're saying with Edmondson, there are codes that, I mean, he's the stay-at-home guy. Petrie can actually play his game now. He can do what he's comfortable doing. So I think that makes it a little bit of more of a um, kind of a, a funner game that he can play in and inside the game and also and make it more enjoyable for him because he can make his own plays now. He can do what he needs to do. Well, yeah, he's just got a whole. Uh, I mean, he can rely on Edmondson to really, uh, you know, to really head up, head up the back of the pack, and uh, yeah. that that just gives him a whole lot more room to um, really get creative. So, oh yeah, I mean, and I'm, it even I'm... adds it adds to their depth as well because now you've unlocked that facet in Petrie on the on the blue line. Yeah. Absolute. I, I I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out my little player spotlight here, and I'm gonna go with Carter Verhage of the Florida Panthers. Ooh. This guy's in his second year, and um, he played 52 games last year with uh, Tampa Bay, scored nine goals and four assists out of 52 games. He is in. His, their eighth game right now, and he's already got six goals, three assists. This man is on fire right now. Whoa. And, uh, doing yeah. dirt, doing dirt. 
and mind you, he started. He's uh, he started on the third line, and now he is playing top line minutes with Barkov, Huberdeau, because he's producing. I mean, Joel Quinville has so much faith in this guy right now that he's playing in all facets of the game. He was brought on to play to uh, uh, play on the penalty kill. This kid, and and now he's starting to play power play minutes, and he like I think he's gone maybe two games without at least a point in showing up on the score sheet. This guy is out of control. I mean, and it's not just uh, you know a, a first couple of games he he was on fire, you know, kind of just because everybody's feeling out. This guy is bringing points and uh, showing up on the score sheet and making a difference in every game that they're playing right now. And I got to say, for a guy that was uh, drafted third round and second year, I mean, that's huge. And especially, we all know what kind of uh, coach Joel Quinville is. He, uh, you know, if you earn his respect, you're going to see minutes. And that's exactly what Carter Verhege has done. And I think this year is really going to be a breakout year for him. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it, once again, you look at uh, Quinville, he's one of the most winningest coaches in the last decade. Like, I mean, the guy knows how to build teams and how to get the best out of his players to reach their their potential that he can use them to fully, basically. Absolutely. And, I mean, this, uh, like I said, this kid's, this kid's scrappy. He'll get in the he'll get in the dirty uh the dirty spots, and I mean, have you guys seen this guy skate? He's he's fucking lightning in a bottle, man. Yes, and he's super oh. clutch. It last I think his last his last um, Friday night last night yeah he had the game winner didn't he? And then is that's one of two game winners he has. So he's pretty clutch in the big moments. Like he just comes through with the big moments when they need him to too. So. And that and that comes with like uh, Quinville's confidence in him. The way yeah. he's been playing is uh, instilled so much confidence in Quinville is that he's not afraid to put Berhage in these situations, and he's shining through completely. So that's my player spotlight. I, I just uh, you know this kid, this just watch out for this kid. I gotta say. Yeah, well, I agree. He's doing great for my fantasy league right now too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll. I'll agree with you, Cody. He's lightning in the bottle, howitzer out of a cannon. I mean, kid's quick. He's got some feet underneath him, man, and he can scoot when he needs to. Oh, yeah. And and like I said, I mean, he's uh, defensively resp- as uh, responsible defensively as he is offensively. So, I mean, I've just – I've been unbelievably impressed with uh, Verhage so far. So, that's definitely – to have a guy that's that young that, that can be offensively and defensively sound like he is, dude, I mean, in his second year, he has his his potential is going to just start getting, you know, more and more important. Uh, just, I guess, he's going to be more and more important as, like, his potential grows within his hockey career now. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I mean, totally. and- on top of all that stuff, he's also got an insanely high face-off percentage for some reason it's up in the above 60 percent like that's that's, really high oh yeah that's patrice bergeron numbers right now yeah that's glenn denning numbers and stuff like that yeah that's insane so i agree watch out for that kid 
Because, I mean, that's yeah. a, that's interesting. Because, like, that's a big reason why Spets is on the Leafs. And then all of a sudden the guy turns in a hat trick last night. That's crazy, yeah, right? in his career. <laughs> uh, the funny thing about Jason Spets, he is the oldest guy in the NHL to score a hat trick. Wow. Really? Yeah, no More shit. than Ryager? Oh no! Or Solani, I, I think. I was, even. I was just about to say the guy, the uh, the other oldest guy to score a, the recently scored hat trick was Yarmer Yager. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> so it's. Uh, and wasn't it Timu Solani before Yager? Because Yager came out of retirement to play as well. I mean, I'm not sure about Solani, but yeah, uh, definitely, uh, I, I could definitely see it. I mean, come on, it's fucking Timu Solani. And he played until he's like, what, 42 or some shit like that? Yeah, like 40. <laughs> Yager? He's still playing pro. It's just oh, no, no, Solani. Oh, okay. I didn't know he played into his 40s. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, so... That's that's my guy, Carter Verhage right now. I'm on the Verhage train. Nice. All right. So I mean, I what do you think, boys? I think the player spotlight went pretty well. I for agree. First, for first go at it, it went swimmingly. Sweet. So uh, I think uh, I think we'll we're gonna start instituting a uh, player spotlight every week. Then, right on. Um. Let's move on. Um, let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, let's get down to brass tacks here, boys. We've got a month into the league. About twenty percent of the season has been played, and uh, well, COVID has definitely reared its ugly head throughout the better part of this season. Um, I'm just gonna. Um, I'm really gonna break it down r- right now. Um, uh, twenty-five about 26 games of the season have been postponed or moved so far. And I mean, uh, an, an, in, uh, I'd say an indelible amount of, uh, of players have, uh, I mean, have contracted COVID. It's about so, 41 and is climbing up. Yeah. So um, this is what's happening now is that the, uh, the NHL is going to take, even more extensive measures and uh let me just read this real quick with about 20 percent of our season played we are mindful of the fact that we we might be seeing a more aggressive transmission of the virus and we'll continue to make adjustments to our protocols as we consult on a daily basis with and and adhere to the recommendations of our medical advisors it is important to note that while we have seen almost 100 players enter our probate protocols fewer than half done so because of confirmed positive tests so that means they they may not actually have the uh the virus but they have had to enter the um protocols so what they're doing they have they've instilled these uh new uh uh, these new um well let's let's call just you know uh what what they're doing um so what they're going to be doing is going to remove the shielding behind the bench to allow airflow to more easily move away from the benches where players and coaches are in close proximity to one another during games. They're also going to be doing the limitation of time at the game uh, arena. So they, uh, you've got an hour and 45 minutes before and after, after puck drop 
to be around um to be around the uh the rink and stuff like that uh physical distancing in team spaces so like in the locker rooms there's going to be at least six feet between each of the players in the stalls and then there's one more where they're um they're going to be instituting an air filtration and air cleaning uh, around um every like you know obviously uh the arena and uh the 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 locker rooms and stuff so do you think do you guys think that this is a uh, a good step and do you think it's going to change anything about uh what's going on right now I mean I think they're doing all they really can do I mean as much as we know about the virus um, as much as we've seen players get sick, I think they're doing everything they can uh, to kind of make things better for the players. Um, obviously, I'm not sure how much transmission is being done done on the ice, um, but it, it seems to be more of you know player to player guys in the same team. And if they can just keep players away and have more ventilation, which is why I think they're taking up that piece of the glass and maybe have air, more air filtration by the benches, you know, that's something they can definitely do. Um, but if you definitely look at the locker room, there's there's no way in hell um, these guys right now are having six feet apart from each other. So it's going to be interesting how they do that in the locker room. Um, but I think they're doing everything they, they possibly can to kind of keep players safe. Well, what they're looking at for the locker room is actually uh, looking into providing um, portable locker room stalls to clubs. Okay. So we've got – so, I mean, uh, it's going to be uh, – so what they're thinking I think is going to be even more spread out past the locker room okay or or you know like kind of like maybe like hoods kind of uh kind of covering each stall to where you know yeah you've got you've got like walls between each other you know that would make kind perfect of, sense yeah but I mean, kind of put some plexiglass or something between them or you know maybe probably like tarp I, I think that would probably be the easiest way to have just like kind of like tarped off little stalls. Yeah. Uh, but, what I, about teams and when they're not playing? Are they doing like I think they're doing more virtual meetings. Um, I think they're having a lot more rapid tests. So these are guys are going to be getting results within minutes instead of like days um, and hours because I know what happened during the last Minnesota Avalanche game was they took off Spurgeon just because I guess he got a positive test that they didn't know that came back hours later so they yanked him off the bench so i think they're trying to get more rapid tests and so they can have results before even game time yeah and well the unfortunate thing about this those rapid rapid tests too is that they're a little less um they're le- they're a little less um correct. Yeah, reliable mm-hmm. yeah reliable um, yeah they have like a 60 percent if you don't have it it's like a 60% accuracy or if you yeah are on the verge of getting the virus it's a 60% accuracy if you do have it it's 95% accurate with the rapid test so that's kind of a huge margin right there i mean it is it's really big and um what what do you guys say about i mean uh there there hasn't been any uh any postponements in the uh, north division do you think do you think you know, playing down in the U.S. is kind of, uh, kind of really, uh, I don't know, making things worse. Um. Well, 
logistically there's more places for those clubs to travel to even though it's almost the same that's the point of the redivision of alignments was to limit travel right but um canada right now is in more of a lockdown than the united states so i think there is something to be said about that question cody i think maybe based on what can be done when games aren't going on canada is now seeing the result of better you know activities from a hockey point of view so maybe but i don't know how you can measure that stuff i think the nhl in general is just kind of wondering if any of these things are really effective or not because i mean i hear you guys saying like yeah maybe plexiglass in be or tarps in between people in the locker rooms and it's like sure but we're also going to remove the plexiglass on the bench and also sit next to each other on the bench um so it's like also i know they wanted to allow less opportunity for contraction by like having the players only show up an hour and 45 minutes before puck drop but then that's been reversed because there's been a lot of resistance from the players it's just not a lot of time to get ready for a pro game um so it also just goes to show that the nhl is implementing policies and also not necessarily talking to the players about it so that doesn't give me a lot of confidence that they're really working together on what makes sense from hearing from the player's point of view so that concerns me that we're not done with the amount of postponements ahead that's how i feel about it too especially when you have guys like ovechkin um and parts of the you know washington capitals when you know they're not supposed to be playing poker together in a hotel playing poker that masks on um, no one got, I'm not sure if anyone got sick from that, but I mean, it's just coming down to what kind of regulations and policies need to be put in place for players when they're not on the ice, when they're just at the hotel, those kinds of things. So, I mean, maybe things are stricter in Canada than they are in the U.S. in terms well, of, you know, player engagement. I can, t- I can tell you right now, Ilya Samsonov and Evgeny Kuznetsov did end up contracting the virus through that okay. whole uh, situation. And, I mean, let's let's be honest with you, that's, I mean – from the player from a from my perspective that's uh i mean that's kind of reckless uh for players i mean it, obviously this is this important to where you know there are these implemented rules and yet you still have you know the russian five of uh you know the washington capitals uh, completely breaking protocol and i mean obviously you, you see all five of those guys sitting out and get and the team getting fined i mean that's, I mean, that's pretty irresponsible for the players to be doing that. I mean, these these rules are implemented to for their safety and for the safety for other players. So, uh, just and then and then you got uh, Alex Ovechkin's wife coming out and uh, blasting the league about it on Twitter. I mean, like, come on, man! You, you like, they these rules are here set in place for you for the league and for other players. I mean, luckily we haven't seen it, uh, like we haven't heard or seen of any other uh, like uh, players doing this, but I mean, it is, it does raise flags about like, you know, how the league is really kind of uh, talking uh, like, you know, what the, um, what the conversations between players and the league are like, just like how Dan said, 
is that I mean, is there really that much? Is there really much that much of a dialogue going on between you know, uh, the 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 guys, uh, the top men in the league uh, in the league that's representing the league, talking to a lot of these players at this point? Like that that does raise a lot of questions, indeed, at least for me. Yeah, I mean they're they are probably looking out for the players' best interests, but. If they're not in cahoots with their top players that are representing the teams for the NHL and you're just shooting from the hip and, you know, calling the shots without even consulting with them, I mean, I think that, as I said, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You want to do it for the safety of the players, but you kind of also want to get their input too because they're out there playing the game. It's kind of like me with being an electrician. Like, the office people don't really... No, well, some of them do, but, you know, they don't know what goes on in the field. And then they try to come out and explain stuff. It's like, no, it's, we are out here. We know what needs to be done. This is how it needs to be done, basically. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's really good that the league is trying to be proactive about, uh, you know, uh, figuring out new ways to combat the transmission of the virus. But I, I, I like I said, I do agree with Daniel that I think, there should be a more open dialogue between all of the uh, moving parts of what's going on right now. Yeah. And I agree too. Um, and I, I don't know if the removal of the back glass will do uh, much to help out. I mean, it'll give, as I said, as they said, a little bit more air movement, but also Daniel brought up a valid point too. There <laughs> They're still going to be sitting assholes to elbows, basically, on the bench with the coaches behind them. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, I, I don't mind that they're trying to do stuff. I also just want to make sure that those things are thought through logically. And also the NHL and NHLPA just need to be having conversations. And so far, the solutions and the pushback from the players makes you seem like that's not happening too well. So... Let's hope it improves because I, I'll ask you guys this question. Do you think the season will go on? Are we going to have a season? That's, That's a, a good great question. question. Um, you look at what happened last year with the MLB. They got like 20 games into it. They had to shut it down for like, what, a month or two months or something like that before they got going again. Um, yeah, I'd rather not see that happen, you know, just in terms with, they're shortened season already, and you have, you know, a lot of protocols going on. Not every team is in the situation. It's just, you know, certain teams. And as long as, you know, the testing, I think it all starts with testing, right? If everyone's tested before they go into uh, the arena and it's and everyone's fine, well, then, hey, then you guys do can sit asses to up us on the bench. But it, it all depends on what everyone does outside of, again, the, the ice rinks and everything like that. So, like, I mean, it's. It, if everything goes well, no, I don't think that you'll see the season get canceled or postponed, but um, I think that really starts with NHL and the testing. Well, we all do respect, Bryce. Yeah. That's what they have yeah. been doing, and it yeah. hasn't been going yeah. well. So, yeah. I mean. I know. So, I mean, again, it's not every team that's you're seeing this with, it, just some teams. And um, I guess, you know, it comes down to what are the symptoms and the causes of these specific organizations as to why, you know, you guys, you guys can't handle it or what's going on so 
But do you it's think there will be a season? Yeah. Like, do you I think, think there's it? Be a season. Yeah, yeah. yeah there ha- I think there eventually is going to be a season. I just though, it just depends on you know a lot of these intangibles of players and things like that. And, the way I, mean, I see yeah. it. Oh, go ahead, Russ. Well, and I mean, if they, they're still going to be you know rigorous with the testing, obviously. Um, but it's just kind of as long as they can get the game scheduled and it seems like they're kind of staying on top of that right now with rescheduling the few games that they have by just trying to sneak them in with certain days that they don't have as many games basically to make up for that. But I don't know. That's just going to elongate the season as well. And if we keep on having cases like we are, or if it keeps on getting worse, I don't know if the season will happen, but if we try to just, I guess try to keep with the testing if that is what needs to be done and maybe some few other things to help out. I mean, it's always been a trial and error thing this whole entire deal, even last season. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think that they'll shut her down, but if push comes to shove and cases keep on getting worse, then they're probably going to shut her down then. I've got to say, uh, they have been doing, uh, the league has been doing a very good job of like mixing and matching the schedule. And I think the divisions have been, have made that way easier. I mean, just look at, uh, you know, Saturday's game against um, the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues as soon as that was postponed. You know, they got uh, St. Louis and Arizona to be able to play instead of uh, the Avalanche and uh, St. Louis. So I, I think they're doing uh, they've been doing quite a decent job of being able to fit uh, to switch games in to continue like uh, the uh, the the league play. So as long as that can keep on happening, I think we'll still have a season as long as we can get those postponed games in and played. I think we'll be all right. Um, and hopefully, maybe, who knows, you know, maybe these new implementations will help the uh, transmi- transmission of the virus. So I do, you know, maybe it's just me being naive and hopeful that uh, we will have an entire 56-game season. So I think it will be okay. Um, if not, I mean, obviously, they do have the, uh, the whole uh, winning percentage thing where if they cannot play an entire season... They're going to go by winning percentage, which, I mean, I think a lot of hockey fans aren't going to like, but, I mean, it's uh, it's still a way to at least uh, transition into the playoffs. All right, well, I think it's a... I think it's a good question, but I think it's, depending on who you're talking to, I think it's a stupid one, too. <laughs> because I think if you're an NHL exec or someone in the business side you're like that's a stupid question our our season has to continue like it has to i mean we all just decided to take out a one billion dollar loan to have this season continue and to kind of keep things afloat and i'm sorry but we were the first league that did this last year and we did it well with a bubble because it was fine it was just our playoffs then we had everyone else do their leagues to learn from. Then we planned our schedule out this year, and we, we knew we would have outbreaks. Like We kind of expected it because we were forced into creating a situation where we still had to travel, and 
didn't get to have bubbles just because of how cheap our league operates compared to these heavy hitters. For God's sakes, mm-hmm. the Denver Broncos played a, stu- a football game without a quarterback, and the NFL, the Never Fair- Fail League, wouldn't let them reschedule. They don't really care. They just need warm bodies, and the league continues. Like That's really what the NHL is going to care about at the end of the day, too, because they're kind of fucked if they don't finish this season financially i think they're totally screwed if they can't finish because then they just can't cash they they then have to give back all the money related to sponsorship deals advertisement deals everything that they've worked out just to kind of keep this league going you think capital one's going to be super happy that the money they gave to have ads on the helmets are now only going to be seen for half of the money that they gave for it. No, they're going to ask for half of the money back. So the NHL is like totally screwed. They have to do this. I mean, even the subsidiary leagues like the AHL, like they don't have some of their teams playing this year. The ECHL, they're arguably worse off. They're only competing as a league with 14 of 26 teams. Like, things are bad financially, and people are hoping that this can continue. But also, like, people are dropping out from COVID, and now there's less teams, there's less players to farm from. It's it's not looking good, but at the same time, it has to continue. There's no, there's no plan B. They just have to keep figuring out how to make it work. And to, I mean, to make the stakes even higher, you know, uh, especially in, well, in the States, NBCSN is not continuing after this year. So you have to add, you have to add that into, you know, the equation is that you've got to make as much money this year as possible because next year your TV deal is completely up in the air. I thought USA was going to pick up uh, the NHL, Cody. Uh, you, uh, yeah, I saw something about that, but I, I don't, I don't know if that's like a, a full-on done deal yet. But I oh, mean, damn. I'm just, I'm just adding, uh, you know, just kind of adding fuel to the flame at this point. You know, NBCSN is not going to be a thing next year. No, it won't. And yeah, I remembered as soon as you brought that up. So that's going to be kind of interesting as well. You know what else is sad about NBCSN hockey and COVID is a couple days ago was supposed to be the first ever uh, women's pro hockey game on a major U.S. network on NBCSN. Not international. We've seen that with the Olympics. But women's pro hockey on NBCSN was going to be a thing February 4th. And because of COVID the NWHL had to suspend their entire season just two days before that. Wow, I did not know that. That's that's a serious blow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was going to be so huge for uh, pro, uh, professional women's hockey, too. Yeah, that's huge. So, I mean, we're looking at it right now where it's definitely like a have-to-finish kind of thing. So I mean, I, at some point it's gonna. It, well, I mean, if if not already, 
you know, the league's going to be scrambling. Well, yeah, they're yeah. going to be they're going to be swimming up. It's going to be an uphill battle the whole entire way if they don't finish this season. Because yeah, I forgot that they took that billion dollar loan. So, and with all the, I didn't even think about the, you know, sponsors and everything. That's if they don't finish this league that this this year for the league, then they're it's going to be even worse off. I feel, and it's going to be. Uh, a bigger uphill battle to fiscally recover from what they've done this year, just to keep this afloat. Yeah. I mean, so let's just hope as hockey fans, whatever, you know, new protocols that they put in and revisions they put in um, works and these players get better as soon as possible. So you don't have to worry about any of this ever happening. Cross your fingers. <laughs> well, see, and uh, here's another thing. I mean, some teams, not all teams, like, I mean, Florida Panthers, they've been able to have uh, a select number of fans in the stands. Do you think you do you think that goes away as well? I I really honestly don't know why they even started doing that. Um, I know Florida's uh, got their own thing going on, but I mean, it looks. I'm watching the Blues game here right now, on and off, and they've got fans in their their arena as well. So I mean, my personal opinion, I'd rather it just still be the players because then there's less risk of, you know, just people being in the stadium and stuff, even though they're up in the stands. But, you know, the the fewer people, the better, I guess, is what I'm getting at. It's it's an interesting comment too, Ross, because, like, I think it's why I think during what you said, you're like, why? I don't know why they would do that. And it's like, dude, they need money. (laughs) Like, I don't think they really like it's awkward for a team like Nashville to be like we think it's safe uh so we're gonna allow people to come to our games even though that's exactly what's happening I think really what's going on is we need money and so what's the a way we're allowed to have people come to our games and some franchises are in better positions than others and don't have to allow their fans or get to like not make the decision because it's their state saying like that's not a thing that they can do i'm just worried because the exact same mentality of should we or shouldn't we allow fans at games is also the one with should we or shouldn't be we be playing tonight right now and i think it's more like they have to versus that they they know they want to because damn guys like the nhl was awesome last year with their health protocols no one tested positive the entire bubble like that we know they can do it but obviously this year that they didn't and things changed and it's because they didn't have the money to pull it off there's no way and um i just hope they lean a little bit on someone like the nba because they're doing a better job they're i don't know if they're like doing the exact same travel schedule and division realignments because i don't watch that as much as hockey but they haven't as a league had any new positive cases in weeks so it's pretty cool that whatever they're doing is working so it's not impossible and that's a it's it's interesting that you bring up the the state protocols as well because right now i'm uh the San Jose Sharks haven't been able to play in their state at all 
in their county because of the Santa Clara, uh, Clara um, COVID protocols is that they haven't been able to play. Uh, they've been playing their home games in Arizona, so they haven't even been home in God knows how long. So, And I'm not even sure when they'll be uh, be able to come back to Santa Clara and actually play. But, so, I mean, that, and that's kind of a huge thing, too, because, yeah, you've got either state the statewide bans or regulations, and then you've even got stricter counties and stuff like that, too, Cody, because I know that they were talking about maybe using uh, Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights uh, facilities for possibly San Jose games, but it ended up being the Coyotes instead. Yeah, so, I mean, as, as it continues, I mean, do you, uh, I mean, obviously, if you get the antibodies, uh, you're more safe, I guess. Um, do you do you see us, you know, just do you see the teams just waiting for everybody to eventually get sick and then uh, everything's good? Or do you uh, do you think that the vaccine is going to start uh, being spread to like pro sports players? Um, eventually, I think that that's going to probably be with the pro sport players as with us all that will eventually be able to get the vaccine. But I think they're just going in phases right now um, just to get all the elderly and stuff taken care of. I don't know <laughs> what phase they would be in or whatnot, or if they just, because they're all different ages too. You have to think about it. So yeah, would you just group them all in one group? and all the sports people get it or how, how would you do that you know that would be my other question i mean yeah it's definitely clear that i mean um it's i mean if you're a pro athlete then well big well big deal you know there's obviously people that uh are way more important as of right now as a society to uh first get it i mean obviously front uh frontline workers and and um elderly people but do you see maybe the league, uh, these leagues starting to implement that you need to have the vaccine to uh, be able to play? I wouldn't doubt it if that would become part of like, you know, something that they would have the players need to do and uh, just even play in the league. I could definitely see that just for just the overall safety of all the players and their families. And then also just to probably get back to the, the normalcy of everything as well and get back to having fans there and, you know, the normalcy of just having, yeah, life back as what it was. Yeah, good point, Ross. I was going to say the exact same thing. I mean, once, you know, there is more availability for, you know, these big sports organizations like the NFL, NHL, et cetera, to have their players get the vaccine, um, It'll just make it easier for everyone. You probably wouldn't see these issues where you're seeing, you know, obviously right now with the fans. But I think, you know, once it is available to the public, we'll start seeing fans again. So I'm kind of happy that you did bring that up because I don't see a lot of people even going into a stadium unless you can, like, prove that you have the vaccine and be within six feet of people without spreading the virus. So I just happy you brought that up. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. Oh, sorry. Do you want to say something, Cody? Oh, no, uh, no, go for it. Oh, well. I think it'll be interesting once the availability of the vaccine gets better because that will, I don't think they'll mandate people get the vaccine. I think once it's more prevalent, people will be getting the vaccine. I don't think you can mandate people 
having the vaccine coming to arenas, but you can mandate that arenas stay closed until the infection rate is below X, which is going to be related to the vaccine being available to the public. So I think things will naturally take care of itself as the vaccine gets more available. I think what's interesting is just the idea that maybe, oh, well, maybe herd mentality a little bit like, oh, well, we we had five of our players get it. So that's good in the sense that now that they've got it, including one of our star players, like we know that they won't contract it near come playoff time or something. And it's like, yeah, you know, maybe, but there's also new strains being released now that are showing up that might cause issues, might not make the vaccine as effective. We have no idea what COVID's going to be like. We just have to do our best to keep with protocols and safety measures. And I think that's what goes back to Cody's earlier comment about just looking at what Canada as a nation is doing as protocols versus the states and how that's affecting things like this business being able to run. Um, because it, I, I'm trying to find the article that I read, but I also know that there's a player in Minnesota that is not back yet because he's having COVID complications. So you also don't want to see that happen. We all know that some people get it and it's like less than a common cold situation for them. But then you see the flip side where this athletes are in the prime of their physical beings of their lives. And this guy can't come back and, even though he's not testing positive, he's having complications from the virus that are keeping him out for the rest of his season. Well, yeah, and that even goes back to the NFL. They had a player that tested positive, and then he actually had worse complications. He didn't have just the common cold stuff, and he, he yeah, it was some serious stuff. He was in, you know, the hospital and all of that. So it, I don't know. Uh, it hits pe- some people different than others. I know when I tested positive, all I had was like a stuffy nose. That's it. And it's weird. Right. And I mean, obviously there's, uh, and there's like uh, post complications as well that are, you know, that kind of, uh, that, you know, carry on l- later, you know, I mean, uh, there's been cases where, you know, someone gets over, gets over the virus and, weeks months you know they have the heart complications you know uh, palpitations and stuff like that so it's and uh, you don't want to you don't really want to rely on you know everybody just getting in and getting over over it. you just you really do want to limit just the entire transmission in the very end yeah i don't think the well, wild are too happy about their first round pick marco rossi going back to austria because of complications from covid Oh no! Absolutely not. I mean, I don't think anybody would. You know, uh, I mean, uh, not just you know for because um, you know that's possibly like a waste of a draft round pick, or you know, or it'll limit his development. But I mean, just for the players' sake of you know living a life. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, I think we, I, I think we really covered all, uh, all that can really be said about, uh, I mean, this whole COVID thing. Um, maybe to put a little more positive end on, on this episode. Uh, so, I mean, we have got got to see some, 
some reverse retro jersey, uh, you know, uh, re- reverse retro jerseys on the ice. Uh, which uh, which one is you has been your guys' favorite to see, and which one uh, have you just wanted to like you know throw up, see it on the ice? Oh my, um, God, that's gonna be kind of hard. I it, there's ones that I didn't think I was gonna like, like the Montreal Canadiens. They actually looked pretty good as the full uniform. But then you've got teams, and even like uh, the Kings, those looked really just slick on the ice here just recently, and even the Rangers. But then you've got, uh, you know, the Blues. Those were a little bit too bright, off-putting for me. But the worst ones, I think, were the Oilers. And Daniel and I kind of discussed that a little bit, I know. But they just didn't have enough blue accents on it. And it was orange pants, orange shoulders, like orange numbers, orange name on a white jersey. It's like, this is way too much. It's, yeah, not enough accents on it. So I'd have to say the Oilers lose out, in my opinion, for the worst ones. But, yeah, the Kings and the Canadians are tied for first for me. I can get along with the Kings. I like the Kings uh, reverse retro jerseys. Those are pretty slick looking. But the ones that I, I cannot stand are the Subway commercial, Minnesota Wild, green and yellow. Those are just absolutely hideous. I did not like those at all. It was just a little tacky. It was too bright. And it just, I don't know. It just didn't seem uh, very fitting for the Minnesota Wild. It just looked like a Subway, I'd be honest. Oh, and I know that they were kind of going. Uh, it's true. <laughs> I kind of actually like the stars on the pants, but they were kind of nodding the hat, uh, giving nod the head uh, uh, to uh, the North Stars, but that's where the stars came from. So I I don't know that I don't know if that's right for them to do that or whatever. But they weren't bad, but they weren't good. At least they had like accents around the numbers to where it made it pop and have a little bit more depth, I guess. But unlike the Oilers. But that's just me. I think the one that, oh. go ahead, Cody. Oh no, I was just about to say, Daniel, you're a Jersey, you're, you're like a <laughs> Jersey guy here. So, well, I mean, I, I think the one that will probably gain the most overall respect from its first initial um, reaction will be the Winnipeg Jets, and. I think people like seeing how it looks as a kit now because it is a little bit better. I also think it's worth pointing out that there were no real rules as to what you were supposed to do for it to be a reverse retro. Some teams took it quite literally and did the royal purple and yellow colors of royalty for the kings with their chevy logo from the 90s and that's totally fine and then there's other teams like the minnesota wild who bought the color palette from the old team so that they could use it in not only just this reverse retro but in perpetuity and so it'll be interesting to see what other designs come out of minnesota as a result of that i definitely see closer to North Star jerseys in their future for outdoor games and stuff like that. The reason why I like the Jets one the most too is because the way that I think their design team took it was 
you know, I don't know if a lot of people know that when we were putting a concept out there, we had a jersey that looked a lot like this. Except it was a big W on the front instead of this jet. But it was these colors. And so it's kind of interesting. They took a concept art and then didn't use the big W. It actually ended up looking like what the Capitals <laughs> third jersey looks like right now. It's just this big W. Um, but they took those colors and then they mashed it up with one of their earlier WHA uh, early eras and i i think it looks cool because of that it's it's like calling back to an earlier time of the the franchise's history that's already super confusing because there's like three iterations of the jets you know so to speak or two sorry um and there's there's so many interesting history within the jerseys of the jets i could keep talking about but i'll just leave it at saying like you know when you start looking at why they did a, a jersey that way and then you learn these facts about history and the color palette and stuff i kind of give my stick tap to winnipeg right now i think there is going to end up being the best one overall from the initial reaction i think others are going to look awesome like right away like the wild wings are going to be sick um but or arizona that yeah I'm arizona for sure yeah and then there's others that are like, ugh, but then you're going to see them on the ice like Winnipeg, and it's like, okay, sweet. Oh, and then there's history. Oh, oh, all right, now I really like them. So that's my take. I think uh, for me, I think um, actually seeing Columbus Blue Jackets reverse uh, retro is really nice. Actually seeing it on the ice was, you know, I mean, just seeing the just the jersey, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, it, it's okay. But actually seeing it on the ice was uh, really cool for me. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have as much history as, say, uh, you know, a franchise like Winnipeg. But yet still, I mean, I, I think the whole kit was really, uh, really pretty great. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I was kind of impressed with the Toronto Maple Leafs to see the, their whole kit. The, just like the Winnipeg Jets, because uh, they, they, they kind of had a a similar motif going on yeah. uh, just like the the jets and those look really nice too and i mean let's be honest when you know when you're putting it up against those atrocious uh, edmonton oiler ones i mean yeah they're gonna look <laughs> way better anyway so and, I mean, and my thing what what does any did anybody not interrupt you cody uh but did anybody look up to see what the line above the a was is that like a nod to the toronto arenas or what i remember back when uh like uh bordia salmi uh were playing was playing uh they had the same thing going on but i'm not very sure of the actual uh the exact exact story about that but yeah I, but, uh, I even uh, asked todd and he had no idea either so yeah, no, because, yeah, if you look back on, uh, you know, the older Toronto Maple Leafs, like, especially back when Salmi was playing, uh, they had the same thing. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I would really like to know, though. You know what else I'd really like to know on the one that you brought up, Cody, is the, on the Columbus Blue Jacket one, another cool, like, jersey detail about those originals that I absolutely love is 
if you hold those jerseys up to the light, they have a striped pattern in them. And it's because the blue jackets are like a type of hornet or something. So it's supposed to be the stripes of the bee or hornet or whatever it is, which is super dope. So really? Yeah, dude. I did not know that, dude. That is so cool. And so I would love to learn that the reverse retros have that detail in them because it's nothing you can see from a picture so much. I doubt it, though. But it would be dope well, if they put it in. Yeah, oh, it's kind sure. of like the uh, Habs and the Bruins uniforms. You didn't know that they did the felt or like the nice like soft stuff on it until you actually got it, and you like see all the details in those jerseys and stuff. Yeah, for like the Winter Classic jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm and I'm. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen some of like the most like highly tattered ones. Obviously, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm. Just, I'm. I'm really excited to see uh, the uh, the you know abs reverse retros in that Lake Tahoe game, which is going to be fucking insane. So I'm. I'm really excited to see the kit, the entire kit. I mean, like the pants, the gloves, the helmets, all of that to come together. Um, the only thing that sucks about the uh, Nordiques kit is that you're going to have to wear a white helmet with it just because league mandate um, insists that the uh, team where uh, one team has to be wearing a white helmet uh, against the uh, dark uh, against the dark team, the dark color team. So um, I would really like to see a maroon helmet, but I mean, uh, it's going to be I, I'm really excited to see those. Another one, yeah. Oh, I mean, wild the wild wings just gonna be fucking insane. But uh, I, I mean, so far I've been very impressed with. I mean, majority of the reverse retros that have, have come out so far. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm kind of excited also the Canucks and the Capitals as well to see the whole entire kit. Not. Yeah, but I've, yeah. so far I'm liking what I'm seeing most of the time, at least. So, at least that. <laughs> well, hell yeah, boys! I think that was a pretty solid sode. Uh, anybody want to send out some shoutouts before we uh, uh, wrap this one up with a nice little bow? Sure, I'll go. Yeah, um, friends, family, Myber Nation. Um, and of course, Dog Nation. Know they got a podcast out, so that's kind of cool. Um, and of course, uh, yeah, again, friends and family, and you guys, you boys as well. All right, uh, Ross, you got anything? Yeah, this friends, family, and the fans. Uh, thanks to the listeners, and then yeah, uh, thanks to you boys. It's always fun chatting some puck and uh, jerseys with y'all. So yeah. Daniel? Uh, Sure. I mean, it's February. It's Black History Month. I'll just give a shout out to Willie O'Ree and what he was able to do for the game of hockey for black hockey players. And also to Dampy Brar, who was this year's winner of the Willie O'Ree Award that was announced in early September for the work that he was doing um, to provide uh, ball hockey and just hockey in general to South Asia and other ethnic um, background players out of Calgary. So 
Oh, hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, um, for me, I mean, big, uh, big shout out to you boys, uh, everybody listening, and, and yeah, I mean, Willie O'Ree and Dampy Briar. So, uh, without further adieu, uh, V Horsh. Salute. Avidazen. Aviento. Let's try the damn thing, see what happens.